What's going on, guys? What an episode today. This is episode 100 of the John Papaloni Show. I'm telling you, what a tribute. It is incredible. I mean, 100, it, it feels like it's, it's just, what can I say? I mean, like, this is a real milestone. I'm hoping there's going to be obviously another 100, 200, 300 more. We're going to keep it going. I'm very excited about this next guest. It is Joseph Riley. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on, John. Absolute pleasure. I mean, so not only am I talking to an incredible person, I'm also episode 100. So it's like double whammy today. <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, it's uh, This is a fantastic uh, you know, opportunity that you give people to come on to the show. And you know, probably even more importantly for all of your listeners out there uh, to get to kind of glean knowledge from you and others. And so I think it's a fantastic thing that you do. Thank you. So what I'd like to do is start off every episode with maybe you uh, giving us a little bit of, of a background of who you are, what you do, and how you got here. Yeah. So uh, name's uh, again, Joe Riley. I started and founded Patriot Family Homes. Uh, started the company. Actually, I was deployed to Afghanistan in the Army. And uh, my wife traveled for work kind of Monday through Friday. And so we had a house down in Columbus, Georgia. Needed to figure out what to do with it while... Uh, you know, while, while I was gone and she was traveling. And so we just left the furniture in it and threw it up on Airbnb and home away and quickly realized, you know, no surprise, there's a, you know, big need for furnished, you know, short-term accommodations around military uh, bases. And so started getting, uh, came back from the deployment, got another house and another house. And right when I went out and took my first big loan, uh, the army said, surprise, uh, you're going to Ukraine. Uh, this was back in 2019. And uh, so I thought, well, this is how I go bankrupt, because how do I manage a portfolio of, you know, super operationally intensive short-term rentals from a shipping container in rural Ukraine? Um, luckily, one of the guys I was deploying with, his wife uh, had gone to West Point, been in the Army, and then gotten out uh, and had been a real estate agent, house flipper, property manager, and said, look, I'll take care of things for you while you're gone. And that became kind of our secret sauce of relying on this awesome group of military spouses and veterans. Uh, military spouses have a need for, you know, kind of portable, flexible employment. And so over the past couple of years, we've built up from one or two homes to, you know, well over, you know, kind of over 350 properties now um, spread from kind of Pennsylvania to Texas and most places in between. Um, and we've branched out from doing just military communities and we're now kind of, uh, you know, all across the Southeast and again, pushing out to Texas. And so we run all of our properties. We don't do any long-term rentals. Uh, we do all short-term rental properties. In addition to the properties that we own, we also run a rental arbitrage business where we'll partner up with long-term property managers or long-term landlords and we'll sign master leases of three to five years and then turn around and sublease. And then we also just manage for people who have their own property and would want to retain us as a management company to either help them go and find properties because we're fully vertically integrated. So we can go out, source the properties, close on the properties, uh, oversee renovations, furnishing, and managing them on an ongoing basis. Um, um, or, you know, kind of help people transition long-term rentals to short-term rentals. So a bunch of different things all focused on the short-term rental kind of Airbnb VRBO space. Which is interesting. My curiosity is why the short term and no long term? Uh, cash flow is just, you know, uh, much, much better. That's interesting. So there's no hesitation 
on uh, that slowing down, like, you know, based on everything that's been going on, possibilities are there where the long term is like almost guaranteed. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I mean, our revenue just this year, month over month from last year is up 19%. Um, demand is continuing to far outstrip supply. When COVID happened, a lot of people moved from hotels to short-term rentals, and you've now seen a lot of those people not going back to hotels, so there's a whole lot more demand. Uh, on the supply side, these things are a massive headache to manage. <laughs> uh, so there's, you know, it, it is not a, you know, short-term rentals are not a passive investment unless you're using a management company. You know, you can kind of passively manage long-term rentals cannot do that with short-term rentals because we're, we're turning our properties on average six times a, a month. Um, so that sort of turnover and maintaining cleaning, cleaning and all the other stuff. Uh, but in return for that, you know, you take, you basically triple your yield. Um, so which makes sense. And, and that's the whole point of short term. But yeah, like, right. I, I love it. I mean, like, I guess every uh, place is different. I mean, like in Canada, we're in Toronto. Um, mm -hmm. Airbnb, unfortunately, been attacked left and right and center, especially during COVID. Um, it's gotten so ridiculous. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And I'll yeah. give you an example. Like what happened is now there's a fee. Like if you have an Airbnb Toronto, you now have to register with the city. And I think that's like 5,000 bucks to register with them. And then on mm -hmm. top of that, there's like other admin fees or some kind of fees that, that's ongoing. It's kind of, and you're limited and capped to what you can do. So yep. I wasn't sure like, you know, if that, you know, if that's just Toronto, if other places have done it, it was just like, it blows me away. It's almost like you find that people find new innovative ways to do it. And then there's going to be some, you know, old school people don't want to change all of a sudden you know, are demanding rules and regulations to, you know, almost stop them. It's like, instead of focusing on new ways to make income, they're trying to find ways to keep what they have kind of thing. It's just mind blowing how things work. It is. And uh, yeah, so, so we're, we're definitely not operating in Toronto. Um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, if you look at our footprint, um, it is the Southeast, the kind of Midwest, the Southwest, Mountain Plains, Mid-Atlantic, you know, uh, we do not go to super blue cities, just to be completely frank about it, right? It's, uh, you know, we're in states and markets that are much more kind of investor friendly. That makes sense. Okay, you answered my question. I was going to say, uh, why are you particular? That, that makes total sense. Now, how do you find your areas and choose your areas? Because, I mean, obviously, it's not like, like, for example, when my parents bought homes for rentals, they chose one block kind of thing. We had, he had my, my, my dad and mom, you know, they had their homes basically in a big giant circle you can walk to, you know, so sort of like everyone has a different way to invest. How do you choose it? Like, I mean, obviously you, you clearly don't have like one specific area. You're just spread out. Yeah. So one reason we spread out is just for the reasons that you mentioned that the biggest risk in short-term rentals is regulatory, right? So if we have all of our houses in one block uh, or even in one city, then we're highly exposed to regulatory change versus if we don't have any more than two or 3%, you know, four, 5% at max in a given market, then even if there's a regulatory change there, you know, it's not impacting the whole portfolio. 
Um, so that's one reason we spread out. But at the end of the day, what we look for in a market is one, obviously a friendly regulatory environment. And then secondly, we call it cheap markets with a lot of churn. So, you know, we are not, we manage for people who have kind of million dollar beach homes and mountain homes, and we're always happy to do that. But most of our investors who come to work for us, you know, we tell people we're the kind of Walmart of short-term rentals. So, you know, we're looking for run-of-the-mill houses that we transition into short-term rental properties. Um, and so, again, not your million dollar beach house or mountain house, but your $225,000, $250,000, you know, again, standard home. Uh, and then, you know, the, the people who are renting that are a mix of traveling contractors uh, who are doing remote work, um, families who are waiting to buy or sell a house. We work a lot with insurance companies. So let's say your house burns down or has water damage. The insurance company has to put you up. Um, so we work with them uh, and then just normal kind of Airbnb traffic and so forth. Right. That makes sense. I never even thought of that angle, like insurance and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. I, I just think, you know, short-term rental, I thought you just done Airbnb and whoever clicked on it, clicked on it. Never even occurred to me that there's more than one market to, mm -hmm. you know, to go after. That's pretty awesome. So I just learned something there. Yeah. <laughs> and the, for the insurance companies, it's great, right? Because their alternative is to pay 200 bucks a night for a, uh, you know, for a, you know, it for three hotel rooms. And then they have to pay a separate pet boarding fee to board the pet <clears throat> if the family has a pet you know, versus us, if we come in and we get, you know, 300, $300, $300, you know, $300 a night, then we're taking a rental that would normally make, you know, 1800, 1900 bucks a month and getting $9,000 for it. The insurance company's happy because they've cut their costs in half and the family's happy because they're not crammed into hotel rooms anymore. Yeah, that's actually true. I mean, a very good point there, right? I mean, hotel rooms typically, I mean, forget the five-star, which you're not going to get uh, with an insurance company. Um, the hotel rooms don't typically come with kitchens mm -hmm. where an Airbnb would. Yep. So that, that very good point there. That, that's a great way. Um, yeah, no, I, I love I love this, man. Like, I, I just never even occurred to me, never thought of it. But that is awesome. And, and again, you, it's not, you came by this model by fluke, right? Because like you're really just covering your own needs. Right. And then expanded so that's pretty awesome that way like you know growing like let, let's start with you went into the army i mean which is a good thing mm -hmm. but why what was your uh, inspiration to do that like did you plan on doing it growing up like did you think of it or did that sort of just pop up in front and say hey why not yeah i was always interested in you know going into the army uh from a younger age um uh, didn't and uh you know I also wanted to get my college paid for. So, uh, you know, the army paid for my college and then got, uh, you know, eight or nine years of, uh, of my time on after that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, lo loved my time in the army. I'm actually still in the reserves and love, uh, employing, you know, veterans and military spouses. That's awesome. So yeah. Okay. I guess it's not, uh, obviously, uh, Canada and us are a bit different. And, um, we do have one Canadian. Well, he's actually he's uh, you know he's come to the 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 uh, the right side of the border and uh, has uh, given up his Canadian citizenship and is now an American citizen. But he was born in Calgary and he's our COO. So oh, nice, 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 nice. Now, yep. where do you see yourself going like in the next five years, like in terms of expansion, like? 
Yeah, we would love to, you know, continue to grow in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, in the next five years, we'd love to add some overseas markets as well. Canada, Mexico, Costa Rica, <clears throat> you know, places in Latin America, maybe some places in Europe would all be, you know, kind of spots that would be on our uh, expansion. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, I think we'd like to be at in five years, we'd like to be at about 20,000 homes. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, you could can just continue just getting your own investments and getting your own Airbnbs. What made you decide to like pretty much help other people? I mean, because in a way it adds more work. Like mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet that it's less work to manage your own properties than it is to manage your own properties plus other people's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anytime you're managing from someone else, you know, if you're just managing your own, you only have, you know, one set of clients to deal with, which are the guests. When you're managing for someone else, you still have the guests and then you also have the owners uh, <laughs> who have their own, you know, at times, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, requirements and so forth. So uh, we, it, it's basically a labor versus capacity, right? So in periods of the business, when capital has been our constraining factor, then we have leaned more heavily on rental arbitrage and managing at times when we've capital when you know we've had an influx of capital and we no longer had you know we were struggling from an overhead and operational capacity to deploy it then we turned off the management you know in terms of new growth we didn't get rid of our existing clients but we didn't focus heavily on adding more managed properties or more rental arbitrage properties right right so it's basically a way for you guys to uh, bridge the gaps yes that makes sense that's actually quite smart versus we also use it as a relatively capital light way to explore new markets because the one of the downsides of the short term rental industry is that the data around it is not nearly as sophisticated and refined as what it is in the long term rental space. So, you know, you can look at a given house and subscribe to any data sources that can tell you within 50 bucks a month of what the long term rent on it's going to be. That is not the case in the short-term rental world at all, you know, where you could have, you know, swings of a couple thousand dollars uh, based off of what the data would tell you. Right. That makes sense. I get that. And, uh, yeah. I guess in a way that, that that's perfect point there, right? Because if you're exploring new markets, it's easy to get into a mess and not even know you're doing it. Right. So that makes sense. I, yeah. Okay. So that covered that. I was going to ask you about how do you, you know, like, have you ever, like, how did you come up with that? Like, was it something like, did you get into what I'm trying to say? What am I trying to say here? Like, did this idea of like, in terms of exploring other opportunities like that and you, and going through the management side to discover the pitfalls and the benefits come by because of planning or was it sort of, you made an investment and go, oh, oh and then said, how do I not do this again? Yeah. Um, we, you know, again, I think that much of how we've grown has just been, you know, out of necessity. So the reason we left doing exclusively military, we, we in the early days, we basically only rented to, to the military. Um, and then when the Secretary of Defense put in the stop movement order, we lost 90% of our reservations in the first week. Uh, so time number two of thinking I was going to go bankrupt. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, we were able to pivot with some of the insurance business, contractors, traveling healthcare workers, a lot of other uh, aspects of the business that have since become really important verticals for us, uh, but were ones that we would not have, you know, anticipated or known 
had it not been for that change. So rental arbitrage and management, you know, we got into rental arbitrage because when we ran out of capital and we still wanted to expand, we couldn't afford to buy, we didn't have the money to buy more homes. So we started doing the arbitrage. And then we got into management by landlords coming to us and saying, you know, how are you paying our rent and then still turning around and, you know, making a profit on top of that. And so then they said, well, why don't you just manage for us instead of, you know, uh, instead of, you know, playing the arbitrage. So those are kind of the ways we got into those other businesses. And then we developed, you know, kind of what we've been doing most recently is working with larger investors who may want to come in and put anywhere from, you know, a million to six or $7 million in equity to work. Um, and then, you know, we kind of help set up the legal infrastructure for them to do that and the banking relationships, insurance, and provide a kind of soup to nuts uh, solution and then go and build them a custom portfolio to kind of achieve their objectives. Right. Now, let me ask you something. Every, like every trial, not trial, I mean, every business, you know, has a moment where things are flying high, then it goes down, then it goes up, then it goes down. And, but there's a certain point that even through all the trials and tribulations, you have that moment where you just go, aha, aha, you know, I'm in the right spot. This is, this is, I'm doing it right. Maybe just a down point right now, or maybe having just a high and the down point is coming, but I know I'm in the right space. I know I'm in the right spot. I made it. I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever had, have you had that feeling yet? Ha, uh, you know, maybe, maybe. Uh, so I, I would say that the, the biggest change for us was what, so my last job in the army was I ran, I worked on the national security council for president Trump. Uh, and then at the change of the administration, I left, uh, and basically went back to civilian life. And so, um, so I left in January of 2021, and really in kind of March 2021, it's a little bit of a seasonal business. I'd been kind of doing this part time. People were coming out of COVID. So you kind of had all, we hired some really new great team members. So you had an alignment of several different factors. Uh, and, you know, kind of all of a sudden was really, you know, okay, now we've made it right. Uh, and we saw our revenues really going up and a lot of other things that gave us a lot of you know, made us really optimistic about uh, a lot of things with the business. So that that was the one time when I felt like we're like, okay, we're here now. That's awesome. Actually, that's a great way to have that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of COVID, since you brought it up, how did that affect the business? Like, did it, like, for example, for my business, when COVID hit, like it was about a three-week shock, like, whoa. And then from that point on, it's like somebody poured gas on the uh, fire. You know what I mean? So I've been just blown up and, you know, like crazy busy. So same with, same with us. We got, again, I, you know, as I mentioned, we lost 90% of our reservations in those first, you know, couple of weeks. And I thought, you know, we were really heading for a pretty difficult spot. And then, you know, it was a little bit sluggish taking off in the spring. And then by the summer when people were comfortable traveling, you know, again, if we'd been in the Northeast, it'd been a very different story, you know, but in the South where people weren't, <laughs> were not quite as afraid of COVID and willing to get out and, you know, get back to moving around, then, you know, things picked right back up. And uh, yeah, I would say overall COVID has been great for us. I mean, the only negative of COVID that I would say is that it's led to an inflationary environment that's pressed, pushed both asset costs and, 
uh, all other costs up. Um, but uh, alongside that, our revenues have also gone up, right? So we are, you know, real estate can be an effective inflationary hedge. But even within that space, you know, if you've got a tenant locked into a year lease, say nothing of something in the commercial where you've locked in a three or five years lease, you know, you're stuck uh, with whatever those rates are. In our case, you know, our dynamic pricing software resets prices every 24 hours. And it, and because our average booking window is about 11 or 12 days, you know, we've got within 30 days, we've got over an 80% absorption rate of the new pricing. So we can be very responsive in the event of, you know, to kind of do inflation. That's actually a very good point. You're right. Because long-term, you're pretty much stuck with whatever price you get. And the only raise you can get, well, at least in, I can speak about Ontario. I don't know how it is around the world. But in Ontario, like, for example, if I get $1,800 a month on my place and the government sets a rate every year on how much you can increase, and that's all you can increase. So the government says 2%. Doesn't matter that inflation is seven percent. I can only raise it two percent, so the loss is on me. Yeah. Um, where, like you said, with Airbnb, you control the price. Go, inflation goes up seven percent. Raise it ten. If people right. are biting, no harm, no foul. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that's an yep. absolute benefit there. Yep. No, it's it's a big benefit to have. You know, to be able to be flexible on the revenue side. Basically, what we tell people is we offer a hospitality style cap rate or yield with a single family backstop, right? So you get all of the kind of benefits from a cash flow perspective of a, you know, a hospitality style product. But then you get the backstop of in a downside scenario, being able to convert your house back to a long term rental if you want to do that or to just sell it as a, you know, owner occupied, you know, on Zillow or wherever else you want to sell it. Yeah, that makes sense. Bring which you know sales. Bringing up that point, have you sold anything that you had purchased, or do you uh, keep everything? Like we've sold a few things, a very small percentage, but we have sold a few things. If we sell it, it's usually a combination of, um, you know, we just wanted to, you know, create additional liquidity to go out and get some other stuff, um, or on occasion house didn't pan out as well as what we'd hoped it would either because of issues with the house or the neighborhood or the local government or whatever it might be. Right. That makes sense. So yeah. Cause I mean, like you, like selling is always an option should something happen. Yep. So that, that's kind of where the uh, safety and, net is. And again, it's not like a, it's not like a hotel or an industrial warehouse or something like that where you've got to find a very specific buyer. I mean, you know, it's the most liquid real estate out there is single family homes. So. Yeah, it's also the most in demand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Love that. Absolutely love it. Now, obviously, things aren't, um, it's not like you wake up in the morning saying, hey, I want to get a beer, Airbnb. Call up a real estate agent and say, hey, I want to get an Airbnb. I got 5,000 to my name. How many can I get? Right? Like, there's a process. Mm -hmm. And obviously, throughout that process, there's going to be struggles. What was your biggest struggle throughout this? Um, scaling the operations is a hundred percent, the biggest struggle. I mean, the, uh, it's an incredibly operationally intensive business and unlike a hotel where each one of your rooms is exactly the same and they're side by side and you've then got a industrial washing machine and an industrial dryer and a on-site on-call full-time maintenance, you know, there's just, 
so many more challenges that you have when you go from people come into the house with the same expectations as they enter into a hotel room. But the challenges from the operating company is I have to try to deliver on those same expectations of quality when it is not a 250 square foot, you know, hotel room and it's now a 2,500 square foot house and it doesn't look like any other house in my 350 properties and the nearest other house is five, 10 minutes down the road, right? Uh, so those create a lot of logistical and operational challenges uh, and that in scaling that system, those systems is what continues to be the biggest difficulty today. Makes sense. Now, has anyone ever damaged your property? Like, I mean, not intentionally. Well, intentionally is possible, but yeah. I can't see that. I mean, but, you know, things happen, right? We're in terror. People move in and out. They drop oh, yeah. things. Uh, how do you deal with that? Well, so um, depending on the platform, Airbnb has a, you know, host guarantee up to a million dollars. Um, then we obviously have our normal insurance policy. So if a guest comes in and damages the house, we first pursue the guest uh, for any damages. Uh, and then after, you know, if the guest doesn't pay, then we go to Airbnb or VRBO. If they're not on Airbnb, because Airbnb is the payment of record, if they're on any of the other sites, then we have a hold on their card. So we then charge the card for the damages that were done. Um, and, uh, and then failing all of that, we file an insurance claim. Knock on wood. We've never had to actually file an insurance, like either the guest, either the guest or Airbnb or VRBO or some combination has covered the damages or it has, or it has not been substantial enough that we felt it was worthwhile to file a claim and take a hit on our deductible. Uh, right. You know, so um, yeah, so that's, which actually brings up the credit card brings up another good point of a benefit of short-term rentals versus long-term rentals is I don't have collection issues, right? Because they have to pay before they ever show up and I have their credit card on file. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. You're right. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, when you get into long-term, there's more uh, regulations and um, at least in Canada. Yeah. Maybe not now, maybe not in Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee where we operate, but Canada is definitely a more regulated environment. That's for sure. That makes sense. So that's an interesting point there. You're right. I actually like that. You know, I mean, you got your credit card or their credit card. There's no running away from it. And there's no eviction process either because you have no lease. So if yeah. you don't like if you let's say you paid for a week and on day eight, you don't want to get out. Send the cops there or whoever else sets you out. No eviction process. You're trespassing at that point point. have no title to the property. Interesting. Now, as your portfolio grows and grows and grows now, Obviously, in scaling, you're going to need more people. Now, how like, have you ever considered of having a property manager manage all this? So, well, we we are a property man. So, Patriot Family Homes is the property management company that manages both the portfolio of homes that I own and other people. So, at pa so you know, if you had you wanted Patriot Family Homes to come in and help do that for you, you know, you could hire us the same way that our whole. So, we have a prop co and an opco uh, and the opco patriot family homes provides all the management services to all the propcos um so that the answer is yes it, you definitely need a, a manager <laughs> yeah yeah no sorry let me be clear like what okay. i meant was um 
Because obviously, you're going to be, I'm sure there's plans of retirement at some point. And being the fact that you're in an incredible business where you can actually retire in a way yeah. and still have the business. So, I mean, like, there's going to be, you just need people to oversee it kind of thing. Like, is there like, and even part of scaling, right? Like, there's a certain point where you're not hands on, more like a third party in a sense. Yeah. Have you thought about that? Uh, Maybe, although one of my grandfathers is 88 and the other one's 85 and they both still work six days a week. So <laughs> the, uh, the indication would be, and they don't need to, but, uh, the, you know, I, I, you know, enjoy the job and I love building businesses. So if I sold this business, I would just do something else. I don't, you know, I certainly, I love people who want to retire and want passive income and want Patriot family homes to come give them that passive income. But personally, you know, I'd like to continue to grow this and I'm sure sometime, someday we'll be big enough and somebody who actually has a much better business background than I am will come in and be like, Joe, you know, you need to go do something else. You're, uh, you've, uh, you're in over your head at this point. Absolutely. We got a comment from uh, Jenny and um, I'm glad you're enjoying the interview and uh, thank you very much. And Yeah. Absolutely awesome. So yeah, I, I get your point there. Like, I mean, I, again, like, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Take Elon Musk, right? He owns a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not going to see him at the plant, you know, walking through his plants and and adjusting machines as a yep. general thing, right? Uh, but I'm sure when he started, maybe before all this, when he started PayPal, whatever, and he was grounds up, but mm-hmm. at some point in time, it, it almost becomes like an infrastructure where the person making the decisions more focused on growth and less on operations. Yeah. And so uh, we are very lucky that we have a, so our COO who I mentioned uh, to you is, is Canadian and is from Calgary. Uh, He does a fantastic job with operations. And then we have a director of operations and a director of guest services and a maintenance director and, you know, a lot of other, you know, folks underneath them. So, I am much more focused on growth and even on the growth side, we've got a, an acquisitions director and a VP of uh, development and a business development director, you know, so we've got uh, a lot of those kind of management positions that are built out. Uh, I still try to, you know, get in and go and QAQC some homes and check in on renos and uh, you know, jump into the operations from time to time. But, you know, I spend most of my time focused on kind of growth. Right. Which brings up the next question. I'm glad you brought up the rental part because a lot of people struggle with renovations and uh, contractors for various reasons. Um, What is your process in terms of working with contractors and how do you ensure that things are going to be on uh, the timeline you need it to be? I mean, it's it's always been a challenge and it's only gotten more difficult with COVID. So um, we do a mix of, you know, in markets where we have a kind of deeper operational infrastructure we've got some really good kind of repeat contractors that work you know we're a huge book of their business if not the vast majority of it um and so you know we've got predictability and they kind of understand what we're looking for and we get good pricing and then when we go into new markets you know sometimes it's a hit or miss out of the gate to find those contractors so uh, i do not have a there's no silver bullet in my view to to managing contractors, certainly not remotely. For sure. I, I get that. Yeah. And you're, you're right. As you expand, you kind of need to meet new people because certain people are not going to be able to travel across. 
Right. So that makes sense. <laughs> right. But yeah, like that's always been a struggle for many people. And I, I guess, you know, from experience, you kind of know how to handle it that way. We try. We try. So. So in terms of, what was I going to say now? In terms of, um, like, what type of properties do you typically invest in? Is it only single family homes? Or have you thought about expanding the portfolio to uh, other types of homes, such as maybe uh, maybe like a like a townhouse or condominiums or something like that, like where you can buy maybe multiple ones on the same block? Um, so we do. We we actually love duplexes and triplexes and quadplexes. So we would we would put that. It's not single family, but single family and small multifamily is what we do. Yeah. So uh, another type of properties that do extremely well, let's say you've got a main house and then a guest cottage in the back or a tiny house in the back or a pool house or something like that. Uh, those do extremely well because then you can rent the large house, you know, as one unit. You can rent the little casita or, you know, mother-in-law suite as another unit, or you can rent the two combined. Uh, and so that gives you not just two listings, but three listings allows you to the hint hit multiple points along the demand curve and really kind of boost, uh, you know, kind of be able to push your ADR up your average daily rate up without having to take a huge hit on occupancy. Makes sense. Now someone uh, is listening to this uh, podcast or watching it and uh, they haven't gotten into the market yet, but they want to invest in real estate. They want to, you know, and after hearing this, they want to get into Airbnbs as well but they're not really sure where to start. What would your advice be? Um, so I, I think that the first question would be to understand, you know, what, what purpose do they want to have for their short-term rental? Is this something that they want to be, uh, we'll put it in a couple of categories. Do they want to have a vacation home that they then also get some money off of when they're not using it for their own purposes, right? So that's kind of category one. Category two is I want to have, a short-term rental property and I want to manage it myself and do it all myself. That's category two. And then category three is this is purely a passive investment. And I believe that I can hire a management company and even paying their management fees will get a better uh, kind of passive income stream than I would as a long-term rental. Um, so those are the three categories. And I think it's important to understand which of those groups you fall into um, and you know, if you want a vacation home, then you should start looking at places you'd like to vacation and then find a management company, uh, that's willing to work with you. If you want to do it all yourself, then I would you know, strongly suggest you look in your local community and kind of understand what the market looks like there, what types of homes do well. Uh, and then, you know, you can buy it and manage it yourself. If you're looking to have a passive income play, um, my suggestion would be to reach out to a management company that's got some breadth and can kind of provide that full vertical and, you know, vertically integrated service to you um, and kind of help you find the best properties and markets to go to. And certainly if you're looking for that, you know, we'd be happy to help you uh, here at Patriot Family Homes. Fantastic. That's amazing. So now every entrepreneur, I mean, let's face it, there's always something to do. There's always something upcoming. There's always things changing, but, I don't know about you, but myself, I always have a, I would say not a structured day in the way that I'm inflexible, but I tend to plan my uh, week in advance. And, you know, I mean, I kind of know what I'm doing between 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. and 11 a.m., et cetera. What does your typical day look like? Uh, 
<laughs> Let's see. Uh, I wake up in the morning and, uh, you know, kind of start, you know, pushing through a range of daily reports that either generated automatically or that the team pulls from me related to occupancy and revenue and reviews and a whole host of other things. So I kind of go through review my daily reports, spend some time with my 18 month old son. Uh, and then my morning calls start usually around 7:45 in the morning. And I've got calls usually from kind of 7:45, eight o'clock in the morning till around 10. Um, and then I'm trying to then create a little bit of heads down time between 10 and 12, then probably some more calls for a little bit, you know, for the afternoon, uh, I try to get another hour or two heads down, maybe another hour heads down time before five, then do dinner, really try to do dinner with my son and my wife, uh, around like five 30, get him to bed. And then I plug back in and inevitably start clearing through the, uh, hundreds of emails that have come through in the course of the day, um, Slack messages and everything else. And then, you know, typically when most people go to bed around 10 o'clock at night, that's then when I start, you know, trying to do my heads down remainder kind of urgent, I mean, important, but not necessarily urgent tasks that require a little bit more thought. Makes sense. Wow. So you're an early riser. Yes. So habit of the army. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. I have, uh, I started being an early riser myself. I mean, I would say, well, when I say started, I mean, we're talking about a year and a half ago. Yeah. I decided that, you know what? I didn't want to just sleep whenever I wake up, I'll start. I find things don't flow. So I find when you wake up early, you kind of get things started before everybody else is up. So you can uh, get on pattern by the time uh, normal business starts. Absolutely. So definitely beneficial. Now, how do you know it's been a successful day? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think, uh, I think there's a couple ways to measure that. I think one is, um, you know, was I able to move the ball forward in a meaningful way against some of our longer term priorities? And I'll put that as that, you know, kind of six month plus goals, right? Was I able to make some progress on those. And then probably the second set of things is, you know, was I able to, so the, those are the 300 meter targets that I, you know, maybe knock one of those down. And then on the 50 meter targets that I get, you know, let's call it 75% of my 50 meter targets knocked down for the day. Uh, and I'd say that's a pretty successful day. Fantastic. Now I want to be respectful of your time as well. So I'm going to, uh, ask you just a couple more questions and then get into a uh, lightning round of just fun little questions. Okay. Um, one is where can our audience find you online? They go to www.patriotfamilyhomes.com. So that's uh, homes is plural. So patriotfamilyhomes.com. And lastly, what would be your uh, advice to anybody watching? Um, Again, I, I think come back to, I think the short-term rental space is a great place for you to build really good cash flow and still be able to take advantage of all that appreciation that you look for in real estate. And then the question you just have to ask yourself is what I mentioned up there at the top, you know, what's my purpose for the short-term rental? Is it a vacation home that I just want to make some additional income on when I'm not using it? Is it something that I want to be personally involved in and I want to oversee everything? Uh, or is it, you know, I want a passive income play, but 
you know, in which case you need to think about, a, you know, hiring a manager. So really kind of being honest with yourself about which of those three things you want, because I see too many people who think, oh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to have this short-term rental. I'm going to have all this cash flow. It's, you know, I'm going to have guests come. They're going to love it. I'm never going to have problems. And it is a very operationally intensive business. So just make sure that if you're going to do it yourself, that you're up for the, the 11 p.m. midnight phone calls. So about how to get in the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now, to get into the uh, lightning round, it's uh, going to be uh, just fun questions like, uh, what is your favorite uh, food? Uh, I love Thai food. Thai food. Oh, nice. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, Thai food is good. I like it. I recently started uh, trying it out like the last couple of years. And it's my go-to. Yep, absolutely. Um, favorite podcast? This one, of course. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would be your favorite vacation spot and why? Um, I'm a mountains guy. So um, I would love to, you know, I, most common place I go is the, you know, the Appalachian Mountains because I live right at the foot of the Appalachians here in East Tennessee. And I think that's a beautiful, uh, beautiful spot. Uh, you know, when I've got more time and able to travel, I love going out to the Rockies. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What, uh, what like, if you had a typical, like, if you had just say the next three days to spend time with your family and do whatever you want to do, what would it be? Like, do you have any hobbies, any routines? Oh, we'd go, we'd go on a horse, you know, uh, it's, it's a little bit challenging because my 18 month old, we're, you know, we're a little bit limited in what he can do. So today, what I would say we would probably do is like go to the beach or the lake or the river or something like that. So something that, you know, is kind of accessible for a younger child, but when he gets a little bit older, it's definitely going to be hunting. So I love all kinds of hunting, bird hunting, deer hunting, you name it. Oh, interesting. That's the first time I've heard that one. Yeah. That's awesome. 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 Um, yeah, I just want to say thanks. I mean, this has been a blast. Well, thank you so much, John, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's been an honor, really. Well, thank you. If you guys like this episode and you want to hear more or see more, subscribe to the link below.